Amen. You may be seated. As the children make their way downstairs, we are going to conclude our Faith Forward series this morning. Thank you, Stephen. With a message entitled, Staying on Track. Staying on Track. Uh, Kim and I had a testimony-worthy experience uh, a week and a half ago that uh, I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, It happened on a a flight uh, as we were heading to uh, St. Louis, Missouri. We were heading out there to see a military graduation at Fort Leonard Wood uh, that Caleb was a part of. And uh, got on a plane here uh, at Hartsfield, you know, less than a 90-minute flight going to St. Louis. And... uh, there was a snake on the plane. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a, no, that's, no, no, we're not playing top this testimony. Um, but uh, we uh, we took off at Hartsfield, and uh, again, it's going to be a quick flight. Um, about 15 minutes uh, into this 90-minute flight, Kim had already drifted off uh, to sleep uh, beside me. Caleb's girlfriend, Sabrina, beside. Uh, her and uh, I was just you know reading a little bit and looking out the window and in 15 minutes right as we reach cruising altitude you just hear this loud boom an explosion the entire plane just rocks and you knew immediately something bad has just occurred and I didn't know the first thing that hit me I thought there's there's a bomb in the cargo hold in somebody's luggage and it has just you know gone off nobody knew exactly what was going on but immediately after this loud boom the plane begins to violently vibrate and shake and what is normally the hum of an engine you know you you, you just get used to it when you're on a plane it's just uh, just turns into this loud clattering like something is caught in the blade of a lawnmower Okay, and the plane is just shaking back and forth. And so, obviously, people were just shocked, didn't know what to do. And so there was just silence on the plane. People weren't panicking or anything of that nature. We were just sort of looking at each other to try to figure out what was going on. The flight attendants uh, kind of were nowhere to be found for what seemed like several minutes. You know, and it's like, what in the world? And then we just see them rush by us. We were probably three-quarters of the way back in the plane. Then all the flight attendants who were in the back getting ready to serve, you know, drinks and things of that nature, they just rush by us to the cockpit. And you're going, this cannot be good. And, and shortly thereafter, again, we don't hear anything. There's no announcements. The plane is just violently shaking, and you just hear this deafening clatter. Um, obviously, something is, is awry. Uh, Then you see the flight attendants come back from the cockpit, and there are a couple rows up from us. Uh, We were sitting over the left wing, right at the left wing, and one of the engines was above us out here uh, to the left. And the flight attendants come back, and they're looking a couple rows up from us out the windows. They're telling the people to move, and they're looking out the windows. The pilot had evidently told them, I need a visual on what's going on. He didn't know exactly what was going on. So they come back, and they're looking. They're not talking. Nobody's saying a word to anybody. And then you had a couple of ladies begin to cry on the plane. Okay, and where we're sitting, the the sun is just you know when you're in an airplane, you can close the little you know the window thing. The sun is just beaming in our window, and so uh, and I had opened it in order to look outside, and then suddenly the sun is no longer coming in our window. And I thought, what 
in the world. And I look out, and the wing was blocking the sun. And so the wing, the left wing, is like this. And I, and I looked at Kim, and I said, either we're turning around or we're going down. And it was just this clatter. And, I mean, you knew. This was like, I mean, I've flown all over the world. This is a 90-minute flight to St. Louis, you know. Never seen anything like this. And, uh, and Kim and I, we, we really weren't talking a whole lot. Uh, we were praying internally. And it's, a, it's an odd feeling. I mean, we honestly, both of us and everybody on that plane thought, okay, really? This is it. I mean, and it's, I don't know if you've ever been in this. It's the first time I've ever really been that close to that type of thing. And you don't know how you're going to respond, but there was just, there wasn't a lot of panic. You know, there was more sort of an internal contemplation, it seemed, um, going on. And so the, the plane is like this, and it continues like this. And, and the pilot then comes on and says, okay, we have lost an engine. We've blown an engine. We later find out from the pilots, first time in 18 years of him flying that this has ever happened. He's never had it happen before. And so there's protocol they've got to go by. The first thing is you've got to get to the nearest airport. So he's immediately banking this thing around. Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but after he banks it around, then there's suddenly no noise, deafening quiet. And I looked at Kim and I said, I think that's the other engine. And there was no noise. I said, we're a glider. <laughs> and that's what it, 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 we just, and you could tell we had lost at least 50% airspeed. I mean, and I, and then you're just going, what in the world? I didn't know what, and then all, all of a sudden, the clatter and the clanging starts again. The sh- plane starts vibrating again. And evidently, if you've only got one engine, you've got a thrust and then pull off or you're just going to go around in circles. I guess that's what's going on. I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought we were dead. And, but we, we finally, and he says, we'll, we'll be back to Hartsfield, you know, in the next 15 minutes. Stay in your seat. Stay strapped in. Don't panic. All this kind of thing. And then there was kind of a panicked flight attendant that wasn't helping things at all, you know. And he happened to be the one with a microphone. And it's just like, dude, you're better off just to sit down and just be quiet. You know, but it was, it was, honestly, I mean, it was horrifying. Um, the longest, he said, you'll be back in 15 minutes, 25 minutes later, we weren't on the ground. You know, we knew we were heading back, but we weren't on the ground. Longest 30 minutes of my life, of our lives. Wondering, honestly, you don't know until you get on the ground if you're going to get, uh, back to where you need to be. And, uh, Kim and I both, honestly, uh, we thought this was going to be it. And, and, and the reality is, and what I want to share with you guys is this. In those moments, especially in those moments, what you believe matters. Now, we were both internally, you know, it's, you don't know what to think. You know, do I need to call somebody? Do I need to text somebody? You're in the air. That's not going to, you know, what do I need to do? Um, so we've got each other's hands, all three of us, across the deal. But what you believe in those moments matter. I think I speak for both Kim and I when I say this. What we experienced during that time, I know for me, was kind of a peaceful panic. I, I don't know how, I thought of what was I feeling. It was kind of a peaceful panic. It was a circumstantial fear, obviously, 
accompanied by, for me, just an eternal security. Like, well, if this is the day that God has ordained, this is it. You know, it, it'll probably be painless, honestly. You know, um, we got a long way to fall here. But it was a peace that only Jesus can can give. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a you know we just sit there thank God for what's going on. It wasn't that kind of thing. I mean, there was a fear, there was a panic internally, but there was a peace, a sovereignty in in what I was feeling there that was grounded in the eternal security of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And knowing that this life is not the end. Needless to say, we're thankful to be here today. And uh, we're thankful to be moving forward in our faith. But, uh, man, that was that was scary. That was, it was horrifying. During this series, this Faith Forward series, uh, you know, we've been talking about a lot of things. And I know that experience for Kim and I just sort of pushed our faith uh, forward. It really uh, kind of grabs you by your lapels and shakes you and, and uh, reminds you of what matters most. Um, and that's what we've been talking about over the past four weeks. We've talked about the need to slow down. Uh, in our relationship with God, to be still, to pull out of the circus around us and to just know that He's God. Make sure that we're intentionally doing that on a regular basis. We've talked about how God's grace and mercy moves us past our past and gives us a new life in Jesus Christ. And last Sunday in that powerful service, we focused on the cross And moving our faith forward by waking up to worship on a regular basis. So as fall approaches, I hope you're getting on track. That's what this series has has been about. It's been to get our attention to move us out of kind of those unstructured summer months and into a regular pattern of moving our faith forward. So I hope you've been getting on track. Today I want to talk about the most important thing I believe you can do and I can do to stay on track and to move forward in our faith. And that is to take in truth. Take in truth. Before the advent of cable news and the internet, God help us, Blaise Pascal wrote this. Listen to this. He said, truth is so obscured in these times and lies so, and lies so well established that unless you love the truth, you're never going to recognize it. Sage advice, sage counsel. Man, coming off this week's political theatrics, I know nobody has been keeping up with any of that, I'm sure. That statement has never been so poignant. Let me ask you something today. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? Pascal says if you don't, you're never going to recognize it. What does that mean anyway? What does it mean to love the truth? Psalm 119 in your Bible. You can turn with me there now. You want to just almost put your finger right in the middle and, uh, and you'll find Psalm 119. It is the longest 
psalm in the psalms it is also the longest chapter in the bible right in the middle of the book it's written by king david its focus is entirely on the word of god entirely on david's love for the truth on god's living and active revelation of himself his character and his truth to all of mankind. In it, in verse 160, David writes this. He said, all your words, speaking to the Father, all your words are true, all your righteous laws eternal. And the Bible is no ordinary book. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the truth. I want to talk about taking in truth if we're going to feed and fuel our faith. The Bible was written by over 40 different authors, from fishermen to kings, over a span of 1,500 years. One book written over a span of 1,500 years, yet remarkably it is consistent in theme and in purpose. It reveals God's redemptive plan for mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible reveals the truth, and it revolves around the person of Jesus. Psalm 119, 32, David says this. He says to the Lord, he says, I run in the path of your commands. I run in your truth, for you have broadened my understanding. In other words, taking in truth keeps us on track. Taking in truth keeps us on the path that God has laid out for us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It combats the chaos and it exposes the lies that surround us. In other words, the scripture scripture fuels your faith. Scripture fuels your faith. So if you want to move your faith forward, get in the Word. Take in truth. Paul said this. He said, faith comes by hearing what we're doing today. And hearing by the Word of God. The Scripture guides our steps and it moves us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and how He would have us live our lives. It equips us. It encourages us to stay on track, to run this race with perseverance, to fight the good fight, to finish well. And in a sea of lies, God's truth rises like a lighthouse above it all, giving us understanding and direction. Where do you need that this morning? Where do you need understanding? What's going on in your life that man you just don't understand? Where do you need understanding? What's going on in your life? You're trying to make a decision. You don't know which direction to go. And His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Truth gives us understanding. Truth gives us the wisdom to know which direction God would have us to go in. There is a way by faith to know. 
in praying for his disciples in John 17, Jesus said this. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Speaking to his father. Sanctify them by your truth. To be sanctified means to become more and more like the person God created you to be. More and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. It's pushing off the old man and stepping fully into the new man which is created in Christ Jesus. And that happens as we take in truth. Not my truth. Not your truth. But the truth. Do you hear me? There is a truth that stands above all opinion. A truth that stands above all perspective and all experience. There is a truth that has stood the test of time, a truth established by the Creator of all things that provides for and protects those who take it in, a truth that brings peace in the midst of panic. And in this postmodern age that we live in, it's a different world today, isn't it? I've been pastoring for 25 years. I have never seen anything like where we are today. We are in a post-Christian world. We are in a post-modern world. We are in the age of relativism, which we've been in for a number of years, but it is only picking up steam. And in this age of relativism, everybody has their own truth. That's even a mantra today. You know, hey, baby, you own your truth. You carry your truth. Carry it proud. Because you got your truth. I got my truth, they got their truth, and maybe we got our truth. Even truth that is just absolutely absurd, in the midst of this, the Scripture still stands. Christ still stands. The cross still beckons with the truth. And it always will. Above all else, as the, the truth. As an absolute benchmark for what is right and what is wrong. As a blueprint for how God has designed mankind and how mankind should lead their lives. There is a truth that stands above all else. The scripture is a reflection and it is an extension of the very character of God. Do you, I mean, do you hear me? Let that sink in. This is God's living and active word. God breathed, Paul said to Timothy. This is his word and it is a reflection and an extension of his character, the written word. And then there's the living word. The Word that came to live among us. The Word that became flesh, Jesus Christ. As an exact representation, Jesus said, If you want to see the Father, look at who? Look at me. The living, breathing truth walking this earth. If you want to see how to live the truth, what it looks like with skin on, 
Look at Jesus in the Gospels. That's what truth is. If you want to move forward in your faith to stay on track in this upside down crazy world that we live in, man, take in truth and let it fuel your faith. Otherwise, you will be swept away in a sea of lies. Jesus told us that Satan is the father of what? Lies. That Satan is the author of confusion. He also told us this, which some people want to dispute. He told us that Satan was the prince of this world. In other words, that he runs the show here. He's not sovereign over the show, but he runs the show on this earth. Make no mistake about it. The father of lies, the author of confusion, the prince of this world. Never forget that. Mark Twain said this. I love this. He said, a lie will travel halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on. Is that not true? The the political and media circus that we have to endure now operates almost entirely on this premise. And we just hang on it, waiting for the next lie that we can either cheer for or boo. It's hard to find the truth in our world today. But truth matters. Truth matters. It is the foundation of our justice system. Laws that find their mooring on Mount Sinai as Moses brings those Ten Commandments off the mountain. God's truth guides people who respect it and acknowledge Him as the author of it. You hear me? God's truth guides those who respect it and acknowledge Him as the author of it. There is no my truth. There is no your truth. There is only the truth or there is no truth. Relativism does not hold water. Let me unapologetically be clear in saying this. As politically incorrect as it is today, when it comes to truth, Diversity does not apply. They'll crucify you for saying that in this culture today. But when it comes to truth, there is no diversity. There are not multiple truths of equal value. So much of our society today is operating on that premise. That there's my truth, there's your truth, there's, there's red, white, and blue truth, there's every truth across the board. And it's all equal. If there are multiple truths, there is no truth. I don't care what the culture tells you. There is only one truth and one absolute eternal author of that truth. Truth is revealed in the Word of God. And it is personified in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. On the day that Jesus was crucified, he was brought before a politician. That politician's name was Pilate. By other politicians, the Pharisees, 
In John chapter 18, if you've got your Bible with you, turn with me there. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. And so Pilate came out to them, and he asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? The Jews have had Jesus up all night questioning him, just interrogating him, beating him, and then the Jewish leaders, and then they take him to Pilate because Pilate had the authority as the Roman governor to sentence him. And Pilate says, what charges are you bringing against him? He says, if if he were not a criminal, they said, we would not have handed him over to you. They didn't answer his question. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. You take care of it. But we have no right to execute anyone. So clearly they play their hand. They want Jesus dead. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. He knew what was coming. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? In other words, how would I know that, Pilate says. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? He knows nothing about it. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. That's humility, power under control. He could have called down a legion of angels to just wipe them out. But now my kingdom is from another place, he said. Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the what? Truth. Listen to this. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Some people? No. Everyone on the side of truth, he said, listens to me. One way to discern truth in opposing situations is try your best to figure out who might be listening to Jesus in this equation. And then Pilate, in the Greek, kiestin aletheia, what is truth. Same thing we're dealing with today, some 2,000 years later. What is truth? In other words, there is no truth. You got your truth. You think you're king of the Jews. I got my truth. I'm just trying to keep peace here so I can hold my political position. What is truth? Jesus was on trial. His life held in the balance by two parties only interested in themselves. Sound familiar? They crucified him that very day. But the truth ultimately rises. Amen? And is sovereign over all. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the what? Truth. I am the truth, 
Jesus says, risen and sovereign. And if you want to move forward in your faith and not be tossed back and forth by the current of culture, take in the Word of God and pursue the Son of God. As Paul said to an idol-ridden Roman audience, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be pushed into this world's mold. Don't play the games that are being played out in front of you. Don't buy those lies. Jesus said, if you do that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll be able to test and approve the truth. But as Pascal said, you've got to love the truth. You've got to love Him more than you love yourself. That's a big problem today. Let me close with this scripture. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to those who had believed him, us, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you take in truth, You're truly my disciples. And you will then know the truth. And the truth will what? It will set you free from this mess. Let's bow our heads. Father, help us to be lovers not of ourselves, but of the truth. Help us to be in this world, but not of this world. To be strengthened and to be renewed each day by the power of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the personification of truth. For being the one that fuels our faith forward. May we love you more than we love ourselves. May we love you more than the world around us. Give us the courage, Jesus, to stand in and for the truth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.